if you're somebody who's struggled with worry and anxiety for much of your life, it's part of who you are possibly. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be drowning in anxiety for your whole life, but it means that you're probably an incredibly sensitive soul and you're probably highly impacted by what's going on around you. And you're going to have to learn how to really take care of yourself. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. In today's episode, you are going to hear from past guest Kate Borsato. Kate is a therapist who specializes in anxiety, especially during motherhood. The reason I really wanted to do this episode is I feel like it's so unclear between what is a normal amount of worry and what happens when people are starting to tip into anxiety. What are the differences? How can we help a woman that's experiencing either? So I'm so glad that right in the beginning, she kind of gave us some ideas about when worry becomes anxiety, things to look out for. And then obviously during the episode, there's so many tangible takeaways of what people can do. Yeah, exactly. And as somebody who does experience worry and talks about anxiety, I mean, that word gets thrown around a lot, right? The word anxiety gets thrown around quite a bit in our culture, but figuring out that you don't have to stay stuck in this anxiety. Like so many of us were like, okay, this is just how I'm always going to be. And she literally gives you permission to drop that and be able to use kindness, use compassion, use this gentle way of talking to yourself and looking at the outside world to get one step further. So with that, let's start today's interview. Today, we're going to focus in on worry, fear, and anxiety, and these so often can come along with motherhood. We would love to first understand what does normal worry look like, and when does it become anxiety? I love this question. This is probably the most common question that shows up in my inbox, so um, good one to jump in with. So, First of all, I always say that worrying to some extent is normal, right? If you think about how we've all evolved and how our nervous systems have evolved and our brains have evolved, we have to be tuned in to things that are threatening or stressful or problematic or that could, you know, harm ourselves or our children. So, you know, of course, some worrying, especially as parents with little kiddos who are super vulnerable and they need us to protect them, it's normal, it's expected you know, what I like the simplest way of explaining where that line is, is that as soon as your maybe your thought processes or your behavior that comes from your worries starts to interfere with the life that you want to live, that's when it becomes a problem. And that's going to look really different for people, right? So there's no, you know, specific marker of like, okay, now worrying is too much or that thing you just worried about, that's not right. So, you know, I think we want that we, we want to see this answer that's really black and white, but it really depends on your own life and, and how much these things are getting in the way. So even for anybody listening right now, you know, just noticing like, is your fear, are your fears, your worries, your anxiety, if you identify with that word, is it interrupting your life? 
And if it is, then that's a problem for you. And so that's worthy of you looking into ways to, to move away from that. And that's such a good question to ask yourself because like you said, it's going to look different for every person. Even before we jumped on to the interview, we were talking about how like the comparison and seeing what other people are thinking about. And should I be thinking about that? And then instantly in your mind, you're like, wait a minute, should, should I be more worried about something going on? So I think asking yourself that question, really thinking internally about what that means to you can be the best thing to just figure out this worry, this anxiety. But let's tap into another piece of this, worry versus fear. So as a therapist, how have you seen these two things factor into motherhood? I would love to hear your response on this. I think a lot of this language, you know, worry, anxiety, fear, stress, overwhelm, dysregulation, like we're starting to hear all these words and sometimes it can feel confusing of like, what is what, what is the problem? What's normal? What's not? So I just want to acknowledge that even as a therapist who's in this world, sometimes I'm like, okay, what is the difference? And again, the core of it is like, are these things hurting you? Are they getting in the way of your life? That that's that's the real issue. When we look at fear, fear is is the emotion of being afraid of something. Like I'm afraid of getting in a car accident with my children. That's valid. Like that's a very real fear. So we all have fears. Fears are there to keep us alert and pay attention to threats. I like to think of worry as almost like the behavior that we do to manage the fear. So worrying if we can all think of times that we've worried, it can feel like this active mental process that we're doing and you can get sucked into it. Like how many times have you been up at night worrying about something? And it kind of feels like you want to do it. You're almost indulging in this mental behavior that makes you feel like you're solving a problem or you're thinking through something or you're, you're making some sort of progress on it when really you're not. It's just looping you into this thought cycle. But when we think of worrying as this unhelpful behavioral pattern, then we can start to think about like, oh, how can we shift that? So maybe not thinking about worrying as a feeling, but thinking about it as an action or a behavior that is an attempt to feel more in control or to feel more certain or to solve a problem. But it's actually not a very good attempt because it usually doesn't move us anywhere. It kind of keeps us stuck and cycling around something that's really uncomfortable. Oh, but Kate, it can feel like you're so solution focused when it's three in the morning. Like if I just think about this a little bit harder, if I just think about it in a different way, oh wait, I haven't looked at this side of it. And all of a sudden it's 4am, 5am and you're still thinking about the same thing and there's no solution. I've worked on that with my therapist so many times that like rumination, especially in those midnight hours and nothing good comes out of it. Like you're exactly no. right. Nothing good comes out of it. And I've been there too. And I've even been in a place where I've been aware that I'm doing it. And this is where it gets really tricky. Like, how do you get off that train and awareness? And we're going to talk about that today. I know is important, but it's also not everything because sometimes you can be witnessing yourself doing something like three in the morning. You know, I'm totally aware that I am rehearsing a conversation, for example, over and over. It feels kind of good, but I know it's not getting me anywhere, but I can't stop doing it. And so there's like, there's another step here about first of all, having an alternative, like what do you do instead? If we don't know what to do instead or what train to get on instead, then it's really hard to go anywhere, even if you are aware of the worrying. Yeah. Walk us through that. So if we have those constant worries, those fears, those thoughts that keep popping up, instead of trying to find the solution, what should we do? Well, I think first of all, recognizing that it, it's, it's an attempt to solve a problem, but it's not working. So even as I say that, I feel a little bit of compassion 
for myself of like, oh, wow, I'm really trying to solve this problem. And, and sometimes solving the problem is like, I'm really trying to avoid this uncomfortable feeling, right? That's what a lot of this is. So worrying is often avoidance. It's, it's attempts to avoid a, an uncomfortable thought or an uncomfortable scenario, or maybe something uncomfortable that actually did happen. Like, let's say you were in a social situation and you did something kind of embarrassing. And then that night you worry and you rehearse and you think it through over and over again. Instead of just sitting with the fact that you did something kind of uncomfortable and that's like an embarrassing feeling that we don't want to feel that, but that's just the truth. But sometimes we just have to sit in our uncomfortable feelings. The worrying makes us, it distracts us. It tries to move us away from that. But really what we need to do is just be in it. So like, let's say, you know, I'm thinking of like medical appointments for kids. I just had one yesterday with my little one and that's stressful and it's, it's uncomfortable and it's overwhelming and upsetting, but, and, but that's just real, right? So I can ruminate and worry and think things through a million times, but it doesn't actually remove the fact that it's really hard and sad and difficult to be in those moments. And so a big takeaway, I think from all of this is how can we all just like sit in our discomfort and acknowledge it rather than trying to like think ourselves out of the uncomfortable moments or distract ourselves from it. Yeah. And the thing that keeps coming to my mind during this conversation, and I know we talked about it the last time you were on, but we seem to always have you on during the season where kids are sick, but it's the number one thing we get into our, our, on our community day. People are so worried about their children getting sick. What can I do? What immunity boost? How can I do this? What? And they're just going through all of these things. And we had a pediatrician on the other week and she just simply said, no, kids get sick. Like yes. a baby is probably on average going to get sick eight times a year. And each time they're sick, it's for eight to 10 days. Do the math on how many days that is. Like no wonder parents are so stressed. And, but she's like, the truth of the matter is that it's unavoidable. Exactly. Like no amount of worry and no amount of, unless you keep them in a bubble, like this is what's going to happen. But as millennial women, we don't like that, that we don't have that control. No. Well, especially when it derails a lot of things that we're trying to manage. So there's layers to this, right? It's not that like we're a generation of hyper-controlling women. We're actually a generation of really driven women who are under-supported and have so much on our plates. And so it's really hard to surrender when that has a huge domino effect, right? But the word that came up, Amy, as you were sharing is, is acceptance. We have to accept a certain amount of uncertainty or of pain, of suffering. And these are things that we don't want to accept. We don't often have conversations about them, but it's, you know, some seasons are, are just hard and we, we can resist it. Like you, you can resist those sick days where you're scrambling to try to figure out a solution or a remedy for your child or yourself. But the resistance creates a lot more suffering, actually. But if we just try to surrender and accept that like, this is a hard moment, this is this is awful to have to pivot again, this is overwhelming again, and let yourself feel it, then you actually move through it faster. So the surrendering and the acceptance of all of this uncertainty actually helps us feel less 
anxious, right? So back to that, like three o'clock in the morning question, Abby, like, how do we get on a different train? So it's acknowledging, oh, interesting. I'm like thinking over and over and over. Wow, I'm really trying to solve this problem for myself. So it's acknowledging your very good effort to feel better. And then reminding yourself that this actually isn't working, right? And that's the hard part is being willing to call yourself out. Like this actually isn't working. How can I just accept this? How can I surrender? How can I pick up my brain and put it somewhere else? So that's another piece of pick up my attention and place it somewhere else. What do I want to be thinking about? And so I'd like to actually think about like picking up your awareness and dropping it in on something else. So that's why we hear about things like breath work and body scans and you listen to meditations and things because you can only think about one thing at a time. So if you can put your brain somewhere else, then that helps you not stay on that worry train. Mm. It's interesting because Abby and I joke that I forget to ruminate because I, I can fall asleep and I can, but the closest example I do have to it is when Drew and I used to be in conflict at night, I couldn't go to sleep because I wanted to make the next point and I wanted to get to resolution. And you know what, Kate, he would fall asleep and I would be like, that would make me more mad. And then I would wake him up and say, wait a second, I can't mm -hmm. go to sleep. I don't want you to go to sleep. And for me, what started to work was that I just had to come up with some things that I could say to myself. And I would say, Amy, either of us are going anywhere. If we can't figure this out tonight, you are safe. This is okay. Like, just really figuring out what you can say to yourself in those moments. Because if you would have told me 10 years ago that I'd be able to fall asleep while Drew and I were ever in conflict, I don't know if I would have believed you because that was the thing I was so keyed in on. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to my therapist about it. And she's like, because you saw conflict growing up in your parents' relationship, you expect to have zero, which is not possible. So I do know it's possible, but I do know it's also really hard, especially if you're sitting up at night and this has kind of become a pattern for you. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I appreciate you naming the specific example, because I think for all of us and everyone listening, your worrying will show up in such a personal way. And it, it always makes sense. So I really love that sentence stem. I say it to all my clients, you know, instead of saying things like, why am I doing this? And what's wrong with me? Start with, it makes sense that I'm doing this. And here's why it doesn't mean it's helpful or good, but let's start there. Like for you, Amy, it makes sense that you were so uncomfortable going to sleep without a resolution because conflict meant something really big for you as a younger person. And that felt really unsafe in your nervous system. So as an adult, like that is really hard to just sit with and tolerate. So it makes sense that that's something that you ruminated about. So for anybody listening, like, how does it make sense for you? You know, for me, it makes sense. Like when I go to visit a new family with pets, it makes sense that I'm going to be worrying the night before because we had an incident with a dog with my little one um, and it was awful. And so my body has learned that that is unsafe and that will always bring up worrying in me. And that's okay, right? We have to start with that, that compassion. Yeah, I love the idea of giving ourselves compassion 
versus I think a lot of us think that we're like personally defective. We're like, yeah. wait, why is this such an issue for me? And, and other people don't have that. Mm. I wanted to loop back around and talk about how it is really natural. And it totally makes sense that we have some worry about our kids because we do want to keep them safe. I am wondering, can you give us examples of what is a normal level of being vigilant versus what are examples of thoughts and actions that start to tip into like, ooh, maybe that's an issue here? That's a good question. And again, that line is going to really relate to how much your life is being disrupted by the amount of worrying or the behaviors that you're doing. So again, like always keeping that piece in mind. I I think, you know, there are safety precautions that are productive and they actually give you an answer. And that's how we know that they are useful and they're okay. So for example, let's say you're bottle feeding and you want to check the temperature of the bottle. That makes a lot of sense. You can do that once, problem solved, move forward, right? So it's when you can actually continue to move forward that the precautions probably make sense and they're not disrupting your life. You know, I check my kid's seatbelt once and off we go, but I resist the urge when I'm driving to like look back and check or stop the car, get out and check again. So that's a sign that things are kind of shifting into the less helpful, maybe abnormal or, or even like the anxiety territory is when we're doing things repetitively, we're repeating things because the discomfort of this possibility that I missed something, it becomes so big that we have to go back and, and check it again. So that's, that's not so productive because you're actually not moving anywhere. So checking a life jacket one time, checking the baby monitor a couple times throughout the night, right? But that, that's not necessarily disrupting your night. But, you know, many, many parents, many moms now are carrying the monitor around with them all day, for example, or, or waking up before their child has even woken up to check. I remember when my kids were babies, you know, getting out of the bed many times, going over to them, feeling their chest, are they still breathing? I know like that's even normal to do that once or twice, right? But if that's waking you up, if that's disrupting your sleep, if, if you're having intrusive thoughts and images about something that you're worried about, like that's starting to get in the way and not necessarily you know, quote unquote, normal. It's also so interesting because just like our experience as humans is going to impact that. Like if you heard a story on Instagram about a baby that fell asleep and then, you know, it didn't wake up, it's like, obviously then your hypervigilance can really start to run away on you. So also normalizing that, I feel like that happens too. Another mm -hmm. example was when I was pregnant with my second I had two very close people to me have miscarriages. And so that worry that didn't exist before was so front of mind. And I had to figure out ways that I could work through that because it was so front of mind, even though it wasn't before. I mean, and that speaks to our context and how much our context impacts us, right? And our past experiences, you know, folks who've gone through loss, are going to be more worried with subsequent pregnancies, you know, and that makes sense again. So we can't expect ourselves to all be operating from the same place. You know, we're all going to have different vulnerabilities. And that, that gentleness, even in your voice, when we talk about that, it's like, 
this, a lot of this does make sense. You know, kind of the, the point of this episode is to also try to give some tools out there. So we were wondering, are there any prompts that we could ask ourselves in the moments that we are really struggling with worry to help to see, is this worry actually helping me right now or is it hurting me? I think step one would be really just pausing. Like I often, and, and you know, listeners can't see me, but I often will pause and put my hand on my chest and just, just stop and notice like, what is going on? What am I feeling right now? So this skill of slowing down number one and, and checking in with yourself, how am I doing? It's so subtle and so simple, but most of us are going through life at such a fast pace. And as mothers, as parents, we're so tuned into our children and what they need. You know, at any given time, you could say like, does your child need a drink? And you would know when they drank last, like we're just so dialed in, but we're, we're pretty disconnected from ourselves generally, right? It takes a lot of intention to reconnect. So that I think is, is step one is like, how can you insert some pauses in the day? How can you become aware, right, of, of your thoughts, of your worries. What does that sound like? So even writing down some of the main ways that your worries show up, because it's probably pretty patterned, right? Like I, I'm sure if the three of us shared the typical things we worry about, it's not a hundred things. It's probably like three, you know, the language that our worried self uses is very specific. What if this, what if that, I hope this doesn't happen or did I do this enough? Right. It sounds familiar. So if you start to like write these things down or talk to a friend or a therapist about it, you'll start to recognize it'll be like a a buzzword or a red flag when you start to hear that language. And then you can pause and you can interrupt that. I also encourage people to ask themselves what they need in that moment. What do I need? Right. What would be soothing? So something we haven't mentioned yet here, but I think is really important is when we're anxious and we're worried, our nervous systems are activated, right? And this is a very important biological function. Our, we need to be able to go into that threat mode. That's what keeps us all alive. Like we need that. But nowadays, the way our society is, and you noted this, like we're constantly being exposed to things that are scary. Of like, oh, I should have been worrying about that. Oh, I didn't realize that was something that I should be stressed about. That's not how things were way back in the day when our nervous systems evolved. So now we have this constant exposure to threats and it's really not how our brains evolved. And so our brains don't really know what to do with all of that. So that's why all of us need to learn how to, first of all, like disengage intentionally from all of this content that is stressing us out and how to teach our nervous systems that we're actually safe. So just because that child on the other side of the world, something horrible happened to them, that doesn't mean that my child is vulnerable, right? So this the state of like of the world and the news and and everything is so accessible it's in front of us all the time so we're taking on way more um, fear than maybe we did a long time ago so back to the, the the strategy question is like how can you teach your nervous system that you're safe in this moment and the way we do that is actually pretty simple so the easiest way is through your breath and I, and I know I always acknowledge that when people talk about breath work I remember feeling like oh god come on it's got to be harder than that. Like that's too easy, but how cool really that our breath, everyone is, is able to access a deep breath. 
And when you breathe deeply into your belly, it tells your brain quite literally, oh, we're safe. We can relax now. And you switch from your stress state into your relaxed state. You can only be in one or the other. You cannot be in both. So if you're worried, you are not relaxed. You're not feeling safe. You're not able to access your skills that you want to use as a parent. Like your, your, your best self is offline, right? So you need to intentionally turn your relaxed state online. So breathing, resting, slowing down, self-compassion, we know actually triggers the relaxed state in your body movement, right? So there's a lot, lots of different ideas, but it's, you know, and if anybody wants to look into this more, look up things like how to regulate my nervous system, how to calm my nervous system. Those are the skills that we need to start practicing and accessing more. Well, if you've been listening to our episodes, the last several episodes, we keep on talking about this slowing down and how that was literally the through line to the challenges that we were facing for health, for our relationships, connecting with ourselves. And what I loved about your answer there is that you've really brought up two big things. You need to connect with yourself and disconnect from the chaos of the outside world. And by doing both of those simultaneously, like we, we love connection, right? We, we, we love the connection. We think that if we're connecting with ourselves and connecting with the entire world. It can be a good thing, but too much connection everywhere can lead to that anxiety. It can lead to that stress. It can lead to you literally feeling your breath not being deep. I mean, even when I'm in that anxious state, if you just tune in with yourself, you realize that you're having the shallow breath. And then when you try to calm down your nervous system, that's when you can pull in you know, all the different parts of your body and do what it needs to do in order to calm down. A quick break from our longtime sponsor, Gooder. The thing I love about Gooder is that they are always coming out with fresh styles or something new. And what I saw today is that they have ski goggles. So if you are a skier and you are in need of a new pair of goggles, they have some amazing ones on their website. I love the bunny slope dropout, but you can go take a look at all that they have to offer. And remember, as we've been reminding you guys, sunglasses are needed all year round. That sun reflects right off the snow. So you can also shop for some amazing glasses that make great gifts or you can restock yourself. So go to gooder.com. That's G-O-O-D-R.com. And you can cruise around. You can virtually try some on and order a pair. Use the code herself at checkout for a special discount. That's gooder.com and code herself. And now back to our show. Let's stay on the topic of coping strategies, because I think right now, being the winter months, where we are in the world with just how stressful things are, I think a lot of us need these coping strategies. So the prompts were really good. I loved the idea of putting your hand on your heart, taking those breaths. What are other coping strategies we can use when we're starting to feel that anxiousness pop up, especially when it comes to motherhood? I mean, there's so many ideas, really. There's so many things that we can tap into here. So strategies to manage anxiety, worry, overwhelm. I think we need to look at a few different areas. So number one, what can you control that is actually useful and productive? So sometimes I think this word control is getting a bit of a bad reputation <laughs> because it is kind of linked with anxiety and, you know, being quote unquote controlling. We're kind of learning that that's like an undesirable thing, but like, let's be honest, we don't want to live in chaos. We don't want to live in a state of 
being out of control. That's not good. That doesn't feel safe for us as, as leaders in our family. We need, we need structure. We need routine. And, you know, if, if we look around our home and it's feeling like a mess and it's overwhelming and we can't find the stuff that we need and our kids can't find the socks that they like because you've done laundry in three weeks. And, you know, this doesn't feel good. So often people will talk about cleaning and, uh, you know, of course, sometimes that can go into a place where it's either like obsessive or it's too much, or it's getting in the way of the life you want to live again, but often it doesn't get there for the most part, people are using, you know, creating peace and and joy in their home, whether that's cleaning or decorating or, um, you know, purging things, getting rid of things. So it's creating calm in your home. That's actually a really good strategy. And if you speak about this online, people come out of, from everywhere saying like, oh my gosh, I rage clean, I stress clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's actually, it's a, it's a totally understandable tool to use. I have also heard people share with me, you know, in hindsight, looking back on their early years with kids, many people will say, I wish I didn't care so much about that right? I wish I didn't focus so much on what my home looked like because it got in the way of me being present with my child. So that's the fine line, right? That's, that's what we all need to pause, slow down and ask ourselves, is this helping overall, or is this getting in my way? Um, Other strategies. So creating opportunities for fun and joy and play and, and, and laughter and creativity. You know, I think about children, this is what children intuitively know to do, to have fun and to feel well in their life is to like move their body, be silly, laugh, create, play, dance. You know, we need that as adults too. And I think we get so serious and we have so much to take care of that we often don't prioritize, prioritize our own joy and pleasure and fun. And so Again, like this isn't necessarily something that you would see if you Googled, how do I manage anxiety? But I honestly think it's a really important piece of it. This is a, this is a part of ourselves that we need to put energy into. And if it's missing from our lives, we're going to feel out of balance and, and, and unfulfilled and just not well overall. So everybody to think right now, like, where am I, where am I experiencing pleasure and joy? And when do I feel creative, whether it's cooking or gardening or dressing yourself or putting on your makeup. Like it doesn't have to be art. It could be what you put on your wall. It could be the music you listen to and the way you move your body. That's creative, but tapping into that, we all have that. And I I think it's a really important part of our mental wellness overall. And during those stressful times, you can feel like you want to just get more work done. Like that feels Mm -hmm. like, okay, if I just get more work done, but sometimes taking that step away and doing the fun can make you feel so much better than if you just trudged forward. I noticed that when Colin travels, I used to for years, whenever he traveled, I'd be like, okay, just get a little bit more work done, you know, bring my laptop home, use that time to get more, get more done, move things forward. And then I realized, okay, if I read or if I spend time doing my hair fun the, the next morning or like just the little things that you can do, you honestly feel I felt so much better, not just in that day. And then when the next trip came up, I didn't have that anxiety that was built in because I realized that I could do these fun things. And I was almost looking forward to the fun things instead of dreading the added work. Yes. I love that you were able to notice that and and shift it. That's amazing. But you know what? You're reminding me of something we spoke about recently, which is that high functioning Mm -hmm. anxiety piece, Mm -hmm. right? Where we feel like we need to go, go, go it's really hard to give yourself permission to have fun or do something 
slow or just for you because you had so much to do, right? So that discomfort that we feel when we slow down. And I think this is an important piece to, to touch on because, you know, so many of us relate to this idea of being productive and um, accomplishing things, right? Whether you are a career person or you're working at home as a, a leader in your family, it can show up in all of these different ways of like, oh, but I just need to do this. Oh, but I just need to do that. And it just, first of all, it speaks to what we value in our society. Like what is productivity, right? Rest. We all, we keep seeing these Instagram posts about like rest is productive, but are we internalizing that? Are we truly believing that? I think we all need to, we need to remind each other of it all the time, but we value getting things done a lot more than we value taking care of ourselves in general, right? This is what I'm seeing. I don't believe in this. I don't want to keep doing this, but this is, this is sort of the cultural like belief that is being perpetuated but Abby you were clearly able to like catch that and change it but I'm sure that was really hard to not continue to like push well and from the outside world it looks desirable it's like whoa when Abby's when Abby's husband's gone she can clean her house her drawers get cleaned her car is shining like she gets more work done and it feels almost good to get that outside validation of like oh yeah I, I can I can do this and more when when mm -hmm. he's gone but then you realize that your body is on overdrive and you, yeah. and I started realizing that not in the moment, cause it did feel good in the moment to stress clean or to randomly vacuum out my entire car when he was gone. That felt good in the moment but because I noticed it when the next trip was coming. And that's when my breath started getting shallow. My heart started beating the sweaty palms, just thinking about the trip. And that's when I knew something yeah. needed to change. Well, your nervous system was like bracing itself was like, detecting, oh gosh, a threat is coming and it was starting to physically prepare you for danger, right? That's what's happening. It's wild. If we, if we listen to what our bodies are doing, it, they give us so much information and often it comes down to safety. What if my body is perceiving a threat and the threat is that you're going to be alone for four days and that literally threatens your, your body. Like it's wild. It is so wild. And I love this conversation already because just reflecting back to you both, it's like, we're all so different. So it's kind of, I know you teach a lot about self-care. We're obsessed with it. And the idea for us is that it is really, truly individual. Like you can't just plug in what Amy Kiefer does because maybe that's not how you feel the most cared for. But this idea that Abby and I joke about this. We're going to make a reel about it, but our husbands like Colin will play video games and Drew will play fantasy football for hours and they don't have that same internalized, like I need to be productive to be worthy as we do. And I think that's really interesting if we all just start to like, look at that and say, why does my husband feel like he can sit and play video games for two hours? Mm. And I don't, but like, is it also that we should actually take a page out of their playbook and find out what can we do that is very restful for us? Absolutely. We need to take a page from their playbook. But I mean, when something is so widespread, like so many mothers listening are going to be nodding their heads right now. Like, yes, I noticed that too. So we need to look at that. Where did that come from? And what is operating under the surface? And so what comes up for me is the idea of a good mother versus a good father. And I mean, this is for like a whole mm. other episode, but 
these are beliefs that we've internalized. And so again, we, we need to like bust the top off of that and look at what's at play. So this pressure, a good mother is always on the go. A good mother makes it look easy. A good mother, blah, 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 Selfless. So we, yeah. We have all these ideas. Like we're not supposed to complain. We're supposed to just do it all. Yada, yada. Okay. So now we know that that's operating, but the next step is what are, what's the other narrative we're going to write for ourselves. So awareness is great. We need it, but we need another step of the other train that we're getting on. So what is it? What does a good mother mean to you? And that is going to look different between Amy, Abby, Kate, and everybody listening. And that's beautiful. Like how amazing that we can all define that for ourselves, but seriously, write it down at the end of the day. When you look back at your day, what does it mean to have done enough? And let's all be sure that we add ourselves on that list, right? Because we don't do that naturally, but we need to, we need to purposely change the story and change the narrative. Let's take a quick break from our podcast sponsor, BetterHelp. There's no surprise why over 2 million people around the world are using BetterHelp online therapy. It's convenient, it's easy, it's fast. I mean, you can get matched with a therapist within 24 hours by using the online quiz they have right on their website. Both Amy and I have used them in the past, and it's just been so nice to be able to talk about life's difficulties, the challenges that we have, and to speak to somebody who has a background in it, experience in it, a degree in it, and someone who can help walk you through and give you awesome strategies for some of life's biggest challenges. What I love about BetterHelp is the ability to reach out to a therapist in a variety of different ways. You can use the chat feature, you can go on a walk with a phone call, or you can use the video feature if you want to talk almost face-to-face. But my favorite part is that you don't have to wait in any lines or travel across town to get into a therapy session. If you go to BetterHelp.com, dot com slash herself you also get 10% off your first month again that's better help h-e-l-p dot com slash herself for 10% off your first month of online therapy now back to our show it's also really interesting because abby and i really fell into a pattern where we were really judging them for their rest, like we are judging and i also because i am not as high functioning as a lot of the women around me, like I get judged from other people, you know, oh, wow. It's so nice that you can take some time to go on a hike. Mm. And you're like, whoa, that's available to you too. You just, so I think that when we Mm. have that feeling of it must be so nice and we're judging someone else for their rest, that's just like a little yellow flag that I think that we need to look internally and actually you know, what, why is that coming up for us? And like I said, Abby and I both do did it and still sometimes do it to Colin and Drew. So we totally understand. I wanted to shift gears a little bit here and talk about in your practice, what are you seeing for as far as people that are just more prone to anxiety? Is there a certain personality type? Might they have had a certain type of parent? Is this genetically influenced? What are you seeing? There are so many factors that all weave together to create almost like the landscape to feel anxiety. So it's, it's so impossible to, you know, pinpoint just a few things, but we, we know there are some consistent threads. So, you know, number one, we know that childhood uh, trauma or difficult situations 
you know, I mean, I know when people hear the word trauma, they think of a few specific things, but trauma can also be a lot of stress. It can be moving many, many times and having severed friendships over and over again. It can be witnessing your parents be just really disconnected and cold. It can be witnessing accidents and injuries. So not necessarily even intentional things that have happened. It could be accidents. So I know my children have witnessed very serious accidents in in each other. And one of them is already exhibiting a lot of signs of anxiety. And again, it makes sense, right? So you can start to kind of unpack some things in childhood that might be part of this. And again, if we look at our nervous systems and as they develop, if you feel unsafe or scared often as a child, your, your nervous system has to adjust to that because it's all about survival. So you're more likely to feel on edge and prone to being scared and not feeling super safe in yourself as an adult as well. So that's a, that's one big piece. Uh, we know difficult relationships. So people who experience intimate partner violence in their current relationship or past relationship, they're more likely to experience anxiety. There's just genetic dispositions as well. So some people are just born differently, right? And we're starting to have a lot more understanding of little babies and temperament. And we're starting to hear people talk about this, right? Like, let's not have the same expectations for all the babies. We're all really different from the get-go. And, and so we, we see that with anxiety as well. Some people are just more likely to be worried. And some people are just like cruising through and the worries don't cross their mind. And I see it with my two little girls. One is like in dreamland, chilling, and the other is aware of everything. Some people are more empathic. They feel more from others. So, you know, you might be the type of person you might walk down the street and you see somebody and you feel their pain. You, you, you see their expression and you get it right. And there's, we're all on this spectrum of empathy and it's just kind of who we are. It's how we were born. And people who are highly empathetic are also more likely to feel anxious, which is a really interesting thing uh, to, to notice. So for anyone listening, that might that might be a bit of like a, oh, new awareness. I feel a lot. And, and where does all that, where do all those feelings go, right? They sit with you and you might be more likely to feel anxious. It's so interesting because what you keep coming back to in this episode is the idea that even if we start to be self-aware of our worry, or even if we're tipping into anxiety, the question is like, how do we navigate from there? Like, how do we get to a place where we can be kinder to ourselves? But also the heart for us is that we know that we want women to feel better. And so if worry and anxiety is a big part of them right now, like how can they start to work on that? Or are there ways that I can get to a better place with this? And I think that with the age kids that Abby and I have now, and you too, you have school agers, when we start to see our kid struggle with anxiousness, then we can feel like, oh my gosh, did I just pass this on? And that's even too when women will be like, I want to work on this because now I'm seeing it in my child, which just to be very clear, we all understand is not completely preventable. Like you just answered in a previous question. Some Mm -hmm. people just are more prone, some personality Mm -hmm. types. It's not, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be empathetic. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, a moment ago, I was sharing about how we are starting to have more understanding about little babies and little children and their temperament. And I wonder if we can bring that same perspective to ourselves as adults. Like, why do we think that we're all going to be, you know, first of all, equally susceptible to anxiety or that we're all going to manage it in the same way, or that if we just learn these skills, we're all going to be able to deal with it in the same way. It's just not realistic, right? So if, if you're somebody who's struggled with worry and anxiety for much of your life, it's part of who you are possibly. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be drowning in anxiety for your whole life, but it means that you're probably an incredibly sensitive soul and you're probably highly impacted by what's going on around you. And you're going to have to learn how to really take care of yourself. And there's probably some incredible gifts in that, that one day will all make sense and you'll be able to pass on to your own children. And so it's all okay. Like We are all very different. And some people are just given this, this lot in life where emotions feel a bit harder or it's a bit harder to ride the waves of early motherhood. Some people seem to just like surf them and have a great time. And some of us are like friggin' drowning and, and eventually we get through it and it, it doesn't feel fair and it doesn't feel equal and that's okay. Right. That that's okay. So I think, you know, for everyone listening to, to focus on learning about yourself like, what is it for you that feels hard? What do, what do your worries sound like? What are the scenarios that are hardest for you, right? And do you value those scenarios? So I'm thinking for me, you know, we travel a lot. And I know anytime I travel, my anxiety spikes. I have intrusive thoughts about awful things for the ki- you know, happening with the kids, et cetera, right? I know that. And we're going to Mexico next, next month for a month. I know that this is going to come back. When it does, I'm not going to judge myself. I'm not going to question myself. I'm just going to say, oh, hello, here you are again. I know this is how my brain works. Thank you, brain, for trying to keep us all safe. And then I'm going to remember my skills and my strategies and make sure I know how to really care for myself during those vulnerable times, right? So it's about knowing what 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 makes your worries and your anxiety spike and then building a plan around that, especially if it comes up in areas in your life that you really value. So what it sounds like is starting with that awareness and then replacing the judgment. That is so easy. Like we get it. The judgment can so easily come first, but replacing that judgment with learning and just being mm-hmm. inquisitive and just asking the questions and seeing. And mm-hmm. from there, I mean, you can really figure out a lot, not only about yourself, but also about the people who you're close with, about your children, about your partner, um, so that you're not judging them in their position either. And that learning that you spoke to, Abby, could be about, you know, talking to your doctor. So it, again, it's going to look different, right? The learning could be, what medication do I need to feel well and balanced and connected to myself? or talking to a therapist, what skills do I need? Or reading a a book or taking a self-help program. Like there's, there's ways that you can connect with the strategies that work. You don't have to just do this on your own. You also don't just have to like sit and surrender and accept. So when I say, you know, you might feel anxiety most of your life, that doesn't mean that you have nothing available to you to feel better. It's just a feeling that will come and will go. And you can learn a lot to to navigate that. So it's not taking away from your life. And that's a beautiful thing about the world that we live in is that there, yes, there is a lot going on that we can take in 
And there's so many resources. There's so much support. And it's a conversation that we're having on air often, but it's also a conversation that more people are having so that it's not, there's no, there's not as much stigma around it as it was 30 years ago, definitely 60 years ago. Well, Kate, as always, you have so much warmth. You have so much wisdom and thank you for being on our show and just sharing your information because these are topics that you speak so well on and they're topics that affect so much of our population. Can you let our listeners know where they can find more of you? Yes. Well, I'm just so honored to be here. I love speaking with the two of you and your audience and it's, it's always just such a pleasure. So thank you for having me. And um, I think the best place to connect would be on Instagram at Kate Posado. Send me a message. Let me know what you need. Let me know what resonates. And I'm just really happy to support. Well, thank you again. And while you're on Instagram, make sure that you tag both Kate Borsato and the Herself podcast and let us know something that you pulled from this or a way that you're going to give yourself more compassion, more kindness, maybe even a prompt you'll ask yourself to really help this anxiety and these worrisome tendencies and meet them just with more kindness. So thanks again, Kate, for being on. 